today I, I've got a message for you, and I hope, um, I hope to, to prepare your hearts uh, for a celebration next week. I hope to change your focus maybe this morning. Um, how many of you would just be real honest with me this morning and say, you know what, I got really, I got really sucked into this whole Christmas commercialized thing. It's okay. It's okay. We, we've all been guilty. Nobody? Okay, great. Wrong message. Let me flip the page to the next message and <clears throat> move on. Um, but it's, it's a great temptation to get distracted in a season like this and lose the hope and the joy and the celebration of what the season's really all about. And so the title of my message today is Let's Go and See. Let's just go and see. And I want to share with you some things that I believe will help us to change our focus. And I hope that you walk away today with a greater understanding that it took a lot to get Jesus to the planet. Like I know God did it, and he could do it any way he wanted to. He could probably just snap his fingers, and it would have happened. He could have sent Jesus directly, and he could have done it that way. But the way that God chose to get Jesus to the planet is very unique, and it took a lot. And I think sometimes in this season, we forget what it takes sometimes to experience Jesus and to experience God. And we forget sometimes all that God has done for us. And in doing so, we lose our ability to celebrate So I want to start with a statement that it's Jesus's season. It's as simple as that. This is Jesus's season. The whole reason we have Christmas is because of Jesus. It's not for any other reason. We've made it for a bunch of other reasons. And we, and there's, and listen, I'm not anti-presents. I'm not anti-celebrations. I'm not anti-Christmas parades or parties. I love all those things. I think we need to party. Uh, Your kids are having a Jesus birthday party today. That's cool, right? And so there was a lot of things that had to happen, and I just want to help you maybe understand that today. So according to Luke's account, in Luke chapter 1, the first character we see is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is foretold. His parents were Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth came from a lineage of priests. So all of her, her, her grandfather and father and all of them were priests, the priest of Aaron, actually. So they were, Elizabeth and Zechariah were godly people. We could, I think we could come to that conclusion today. They were very godly people. They were upright. They did the right things. They walked the right way. But she was barren, and they were old. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears to Zechariah when he's in the temple and tells him he's going to have a son, and he didn't believe him. He didn't believe in it, and, and because he didn't believe him, he became mute. He couldn't speak until John the Baptist was born. And so in that moment, Elizabeth becomes pregnant with John the Baptist. Six months later, this is interesting. I like time frames. Six months later, Mary gets visited by an angel and told that she's going to give birth to Jesus. And she believed him. She asked him questions, as any good woman would, right? I need some details, bro. (laughs) Give me some details. And he did. He gave her some details. And he told her, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant also. In fact, at the time that the angel visits Mary, John the Baptist has been in his mother's womb for six months. It's really cool. John was only six months older than Jesus. And you think about their life and their ministry and all that happened, and they were just about the same age. And so Mary, after visiting with the angel and believing the angel, in that moment that she believed, she becomes pregnant with Jesus. It's what we call the immaculate conception. We call it all kinds of things, right? So Two or three days later, Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. This is really cool. It's one of my favorite parts of the story. Mary walks into the room where Elizabeth is. Jesus is only a few days old. He's itty-bitty in his mother's womb. John is six months into his mother's womb, so he's bigger, right? Mary walks in. 
greets Elizabeth, and John leaps in his mother's womb. I'm always fascinated by that story, which, which blows my mind how people can say that life starts at, at a later time, right? Which I go, it's so stupid. Like, don't just read your Bible. I mean, like, believe it for a minute. Would you just like, like Jesus was ditty bitty and he walk, and Mary walks in and John leaps in his mother's womb and wow. And, and Elizabeth goes, I mean, I've never had anything leap <clears throat> in my stomach, but uh, I've, I've heard stories of when babies kick real hard. The mom can kind of get startled a little bit. Am I right? Okay, never experienced that before. Um, Mary goes, she has a moment. I mean, Elizabeth has a moment. John leaps in her womb. She has a moment, a very special moment. The Bible says that in that moment, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. When the presence of God walked into the room in the smallest form possible, her baby jumps in her womb and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she makes us, she makes a declaration in Luke chapter 1, verse 45. Look at what she says. You are blessed, Mary, because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Why was Mary blessed? Mary was blessed because she believed that God would do what he said he would do. Do you know you're the most blessed when you believe what God says, that he will do what he says he will do? She was blessed the moment she believed. The moment she believed the angel, she became pregnant. Super cool story. And then, then Mary becomes a songwriter. Bible never told us that Mary was a songwriter. In that moment, she writes a song. Read your Bible. She starts to sing a song, like a song comes out of Mary in that moment. Then John is born, and his dad prophesies. His dad gets to speak again. The next big event that happens is King Augustus decrees a census of everyone. This is really interesting because Rome in those days leading up to this point had been, had been run by three kings, three different leaders, and they were always fighting each other. So Rome in itself was unstable. There was not peace in the land. There was not financial prosperity. They were struggling as a nation because they had too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Come on, somebody. And so, so eventually, before this happened, before John's born, Augustus becomes the single king of all of Rome through a chain of events. Augustus is the most powerful man on the planet. Now, I want you to think in terms right now of how God chose the right time, situation, place, and people to place Jesus on the planet. A lot had to happen. A lot. Elizabeth and Zechariah had to believe God. Mary had to believe God, right? The situation and the time had to be right. Augustus is the most powerful man on the planet. It's said and believed that he would say something and it would be done. As simple as that. He would say it and it would be done. What's interesting is is that Augustus calls for a, a census, now, the census, you might be thinking, is just to count how many people are in, the, are in the nation. It was actually an enrollment for taxation. So watch this. Augustus sent out a, a decree, said that everybody needs to go back to your homeland so that you can sign up to pay taxes. Now, I know a few Cajuns that would never make it back to their homeland because they don't like paying taxes. Come on, somebody. But everybody went back to their homeland to sign up to pay taxes. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus was foretold to be born in Bethlehem, but Mary and Joseph were in Nazareth. How do they get to Bethlehem unless there's a census, a decree by the king to go back to their homeland and sign up to pay taxes? So Joseph packs the bags, gets Mary, 
and he leaves Nazareth and heads to Bethlehem. It's an 80-mile journey. The most practical way I can help you understand that is if today you and your wife, probably somewhere around six months, nine months pregnant, I don't know, somewhere's in there, would pack as many bags as you could fit on a donkey, like a real donkey. Some of you have not seen a real donkey in a long time. I'm not talking about how you act. I'm just talking about some of you just haven't seen like a real live donkey in a long time. You would pack your bags. Your wife would be somewhere between eight and nine months pregnant. And you would take off from Eunice, Louisiana. And you would travel from here to I-10. Maybe you would go the back way. I don't know. But you would basically travel from here to Bass Pro Shop in Denham Springs. On a donkey. Nine months pregnant. It's 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's 82 miles from here to Bass Pro Shop in Denham Springs. How many of you are having a hard time believing that Mary was good with that? I mean, like, seriously. How many of you would have signed up for that? Yeah. And I find it amazing today how God moves men into places that he wants them. That was a lot, y'all, that happened. Now, I left out a lot of details because I could have done a whole sermon series on all the details that go along with this, but that's just the highlights. I want to talk to you for a second about Mary because every time I study the Christmas story, I fall more in love with Mary. And I want you to understand something. I'm not mad at Mary. I'm not mad at Mary because of what the Catholics have done. I'm not mad at Mary because other people have lifted Mary up to an equal position with God. I'm not mad at Mary for that. She didn't do that. That's people doing that, right? Mary was still an amazing woman. You got to remember, Mary was still chosen by God to carry the Son of God. Last time I checked, I don't know anybody else that's been signed up for that. So I want to show you a few things that I find really amazing about Mary. Number one, she believed an angel. She believed an angel. She simply believed what the angel told her. Then number two, she moved into action. It's one thing to believe God. It's another thing to move into action with God. See, to me, your belief doesn't really get solidified until you move into action because we can believe a lot of things and stay lethargic at the same time. Right? Real belief moves into action. It doesn't sit still. Mary shows us that. What does she do? She gets up because she heard her cousin was pregnant who was old and barren, but she's carrying John the Baptist who would prepare the way for Jesus. She gets up to go see what God has done in Elizabeth. She moved into action. She believed what the angel told her. Number three, Mary was brave. She was absolutely ready for the accusations that would come. She was unmarried and pregnant. And that's not a big deal today. When I was young, that was a big deal. In her day, it was an even bigger deal. She was ready for the accusations. She was ready for the rumors. She signed up for something that she would be torn up about, talked about, ridiculed. Number four, she was submitted to Joseph. She was submitted to the man who's not even her husband yet. She was submitted to Joseph even while she was carrying Jesus. And some of you are waiting for the stars to line up before you'll submit to your husband or you'll submit to the word of God and you're waiting for all these perfect conditions to happen before you submit. She submitted to Joseph whom she wasn't married to and she's carrying Jesus. She jumped on a donkey and traveled 80 miles. Number five, she followed God's providence. What is that? What is God's providence? God's providence is God's divine guidance. Sometimes things happen in our lives and we can't explain why, right? 
And sometimes we just got to trust the God that we serve and the God that we're following and trust that he's going to bring us into the places that he knows is best for us. That's providence. It's just trusting the process. She trusts his providence. You see, it was interesting to study because at the same time, Joseph had to pack Mary up and travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, 80 miles. It was actually still a blessing at the same time because they were able to get away from Nazareth where she was being ridiculed, talked about, and all these rumors were starting to spread. They were able to get away from that and get into a new city. Come on, somebody. You see how all God's working all this together? And then they needed to be in Bethlehem because that's where it was prophesied that he would be born. <coughs> Number six, she took what was given and she made the best of it. It's a slightly different attitude than you see on social media today, right? Would you agree? It's a slightly different attitude than we see in the world today. She took the conditions that she was given and she just made the best of it. She didn't complain about it. She didn't gripe about it. She didn't plant her feet on the ground and say, I'm not going unless you got me a hotel room. <coughs> it is believed Mary had absolutely no help. Think about it. They travel into Bethlehem. No room. End up in a a stable which would have been like a cave cut out in the side of a mountain with maybe some gates or something to keep animals in. How many of you have been in an animal barn lately? Smell good? I like the smell, but it's a good reset to your, your smelling abilities. But <coughs> She had no help. Remember the Bible says, I've got, I've got one, thank you. Remember the Bible says that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes? Remember that? Who wrapped him? Mary did. Who placed him in the manger? Mary did. When did that happen? Right after she had him. Go have a baby today. The nurses come in, do everything for you. Take the baby, bring the baby to another room. Make sure the baby's good and then bring the baby back to you, right? Mary didn't have that. Mary had to have the baby, sit up, take care of the baby, and place the baby in the manger. She had no help. And she did all this in a barn. Now, I thank God that we have the, the modern things that we have today. Come on, somebody. Right? I'm glad that there's a nurse that comes in and takes the baby for you and does all those wonderful things. I don't want to condemn you for that. I'm sure Mary would have taken it if it would have been given to her. But she had no help and she was in poor condition. She just took what she was given and she made the best of it. Think about what must have been going through her mind. She's carrying the Son of God. You think she wanted better than a manger? You think she wanted better than a stable? You think she had a, 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 an image or a dream of birthing Jesus in a better place than that? Number seven, she was responsible. She was just simply responsible. She had to be responsible. God won't give Jesus to irresponsible people. Amen? She was responsible. So I don't know. I just, I fall in love with Mary more every year. I think she's a great woman. Worth honor worth celebration. She's a great woman. She's just not a God. Come on, somebody. So the first announcement about Christmas comes after all these events. And that announcement comes with a promise of joy. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10 to 11, an angel appears again to some shepherds out in the field, which I find very interesting. The angels didn't appear to the intellectuals of the day. He didn't appear to the scholars of the day. He didn't even appear to the most wealthy of the day. He first appears to the shepherds of the day to make the first announcement that Jesus has been born. 
He trusts the first announcement of Jesus to shepherds, people. Come on, somebody. This is like, we live in ranch territory. There's ranchers around here. There's guys who raise cattle and sheep and those kinds of things. They're great people. I love them. But they're not your, they're not your most famous people. They don't get the most attention. They don't get oohed and odd over because they maybe they don't have a degree or they, they're not extremely wealthy. But the shepherds in the field get the first announcement that Jesus is born. I find that interesting. This is what he says. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So the angels bring the good news, and it's the good news that brings the joy. The angels didn't bring the joy. They brought the source of the joy, which is the good news. What was the good news? The good news was that a Savior, the Messiah, yes, the Lord, was born today in Bethlehem. That's good news that brings great joy. Jesus is the good news. Come on, somebody. Jesus is the good news. He's the one who brings great joy. He's the only one that can bring great joy into our lives. There's not enough presence in the world. There's not enough parties in the world to give us the kind of joy that can sustain us like Jesus can. Only Jesus can. The angels were telling the shepherds, Jesus has come to you today. You don't have to go find him. He's come to you today. God came to us. So the shepherds had a decision to make now. They've been given some news. They were given information that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. They were told what he would look like, told where they could find him. Do you know the good news? still brings great joy today. Do you know what the world needs today? Before it ever needs another president, before it ever needs another law, before it ever needs anything else to change, the world needs the good news of Jesus today. And here's the real question of the day. How many of us are going to walk away from here like these shepherds today and be willing to spread the good news above everything else? Because it's the thing that brings great joy. Verse 15 says this, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go. Well, we all need some friends who get it, right? Some friends who ain't afraid to tell somebody about Jesus. Some friends who aren't ashamed of Jesus. We all need some friends who got a little charisma in them, and they're not afraid to go to Walmart or the workplace and tell others about Jesus and spread the good news because those friends will come alongside and say, hey, let's go. Come on, you want to go? Let's go. Let's go do this. They looked at each other and said, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They made a decision based on the information that they were given to go. They made a decision to go. They left everything to go see if what the angel said was true. Is it true? Let's go see. You see, you can read your Bible, and you can read all the great stories in your Bible, and you can just sit on that. And you can just say, that's a cool story. But I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible's still being written today. And your name can be in the Bible today. Your name can be written in today. If you'll just take what you're hearing, take what you're seeing, and move on it. Then new things will begin to happen. Great things will begin to happen. You'll see incredible things that you've never seen before. They said, let's go. They left everything and they took off.
What would cause him to get up and go like this? What is it that causes a man to get up out of his comfortable place? What, causes, what is it that causes a man to let go of his reputation and what people think about him and go do something radically different? What is it that would cause a shepherd who's responsible for his sheep to leave his sheep to go see the Messiah because a heavenly being told him that he was there? What is it that would cause us to take this city in the name of Jesus? What is it going to take? My wife and I were having this conversation this morning. What is it going to take for us, the church, to wake up and to go take the world for Jesus? To go spread the news about Jesus? To refuse to get caught up in politics and, and world events and just strictly go and tell people the good news about Jesus. What does it take? What does it take for me to get beyond myself? First, it takes you to believe. You first have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus is who Jesus is. You have to believe that Jesus possesses the power that it's said that he possesses. You have to believe that God loves you and he loves this lost and fallen world just like he says he does. But there has to be something that causes us to come outside of ourselves. It's the same thing that Moses ran into when he saw the burning bush. It was the same thing that turned Moses around. <coughs> Excuse me. When he ran from the nation that he ran from, and as he's in the wilderness, he runs up, he walks up on a burning bush that's not being consumed. I don't know about you, but there hadn't been many of those around. And he stands there staring at a burning bush, and God begins to speak to him. What is it that would cause Mary to believe an angel? I think the most important factor in all of this is that it was the presence of God. It was the presence of God. Men, men have tried to explain the presence of God their whole lives. The presence of God is sometimes undescribable, but you can't deny it at the same time. I've been in the presence of God in my, in my quiet place at home and, and, and have heard and seen and felt and sensed things that I can't even explain to another person because it's the presence of God. God's not explainable. All these folks were in the presence of God. And let me tell you something. One moment in the presence of God can change everything. It can change everything. It's not just for a Sunday. If you're just waiting for the presence of God on Sunday, you're hurting yourself. God will show up in your house. He'll show up in your car. He'll show up in your life if you'll expect him to. They encountered the presence of God and that caused them to do something they wouldn't normally do. It caused them to get out of character. You see, when you're in the presence of the Lord, the, your heart will be moved. So they said, let's go. Let's go. Like, let's just go see. You ever have a friend that always wanted to go see what was going to happen next? It was the friend you always got in trouble with, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I was that friend. <coughs> Let's go. So then they stepped out on that and they said, let's go see. Let's see. So because they went, they were able to see. Some people say that seeing believing, seeing is believing is not a real thing. I disagree. I disagree. I never knew a cow could jump as high as a cow could jump till I saw one jump. Right? Seeing one jump over the fence, and I was like, wow. Seeing was believing. 
right? I never thought you could catch a bird and a fish at the same time until I caught one or caught them. I caught a bird and a fish at the same time. Seeing was believing. They said, let's go see so that maybe we will believe. They must have believed in order to see. But even seeing can cause more believing. I'm trying to get at something this morning. You see, they could have believed and stayed in the fields. Oh, that was a great, man, that was awesome. Dude, we met with some angels. Like, they came down like, Ooh, and we were like, they talked to us, and we didn't die, and they told us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and that he would be in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, and, and all this, man, that was great. I can't wait to tell all the buddies that we saw angels. They could have believed and stayed in the field. How many of us believe and stay in the field? <coughs> <clears throat> you see, the Lord will move your heart, but it's your responsibility to move your feet. And I'm afraid as Christians today, a lot of times God moves our hearts, but we refuse to move our feet. And it's not that we're really hurting God, we're really hurting ourselves when we refuse to move our feet. Because we shortchange ourselves from an experience with God that we would have gotten if we would have just moved our feet when he said to go. You see, a moved heart and frozen feet lead to a confused and disappointed life. Can I say that again? A moved heart and frozen feet lead to a confused and disappointed life. You'll never know the power of God in finances if you never go give when he says to give. If you never go bless when he says to bless. So I'm trusting God to move our hearts today. And I'm trusting you to move your feet today. Verse 16 to 18 says this, that they hurried, say that with me, say they hurried, to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there he was, the baby lying in the manger. You know why they hurried? You know why they hurried? Number one, they hurried because they believed what the angel said. They believed and they acted on their belief. And sometimes you need to hurry up and act on what you've heard or what you believe before anything else comes and takes it away from you. Some of you hear something from God and you spend way too much time pondering it. You just need to start acting on it. And if you want to ponder, ponder after you've acted on it and put all those pieces together and see how awesome that is. Amen? They were hungry to see Jesus, the one that they had heard about. The second reason they hurried is because they knew if they didn't hurry, they would likely be presented with an excuse. Because here's something you need to be aware of. Every opportunity Jesus gives you to experience him, the enemy is there to hand you an excuse not to go and do it. Tell me I'm lying. Every single time you're presented with an opportunity from God to experience God, the enemy is there to hand you an excuse not to go. And I'm afraid the church, the capital C church in the, in the U.S. today has been taking more excuses than we've been taking opportunities to go and see Jesus like we've never seen him before.
Because here's the truth, you'll never know how great God is until you go and see. You'll never know how great he is until you move out of yourself. Move out of your fears, move out of your comfort, move out of your struggles and refuse to take the excuse of the enemy and just go. Only then do you experience how great God is. Psalms 34, 8 says this way. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. The Bible tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. The Bible's telling us today to go and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. And then it tells us, oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. What does that mean? That word, ref, that word refuge is to confide in, to hope in, to make refuge with, to trust. So listen to what the scripture says. Oh, the joys of those who trust in him. So they were told to go and see. And because they went and saw, their go and see was turned into a heard and seen. And it was just as the angel had told them. If they don't go, they don't have anything to glorify and praise God about. Are we still living on yesterday's stories? Are we still living on yesterday's experiences? Are we still living on the experiences from 10 years ago? Oh, that was, I've heard church people say this all the time. That was back when God was moving. Bruh, God ain't quit moving. He ain't died. He didn't get, he didn't get stiffed up. He, he's still moving. He moves every day. The reason we don't have anything to say is because we're not going with him. We're not going with him. He's still moving. We're not. Amen? A lack of obedience always leads to a lack of praise and glory. Did you hear me? A lack of obedience always leads to a lack of praise and glory. The church should be the most glorifying praising people on the planet. We should always have a story of God's goodness. We should never be without a new story of what God has done. Amen? We should never be without a story. We should be the people with the best news to tell. Always. When people need to be encouraged, they should be coming to us to find encouragement. Why? Because we've always got something good to say. When my kids were younger... I can tell this story because Ethan's not here today. <laughs> when my kids were younger, we brought them to a water park one time. And um, we were walking around the water park, and they saw this big slide. And you had to get on this raft and slide down this big slide. And the kids were like, oh, Daddy, let's go do that. And I'm like, oh, what? Let's go. So Ethan was like, yeah, let's go. And the girls, and so me and the girls and Ethan and Cheryl, we all climb that's back when they made you carry your own float to the top. Come on, somebody. Those were real water parks. <laughs> Carried that raft all the way to the top, and me and Ethan was going to go down because that's my boy, right? Me and my boy, we're going to conquer this slide. So we get to the top, and there's some people. We're waiting in line, and some people are going down. And, and I notice he's getting a little nervous. I'm like, all right, bud, you ready? Come on, let's go. And I didn't know he had a fear of heights at the time. This was a learning experience. I'm like, you ready? He's like, no, Dad. No, and he, he's only about this big. No, Dad, no. And there's some people behind us, and I'm like, come on, bro, come on. Like, we, we climbed all the way up here. Like, let's go, bro, come on. Like, this is going to be fun. No, no, Dad. And the more I pushed, the more he backed up. Till finally, Cheryl took, I said, just me and Cheryl, because I was pushing, I, I pushed too hard. Cheryl, Cheryl had some words for me, some words of encouragement. And... <clears throat> 
And so after I sent her and the, and the girls down on the raft, uh, me and Ethan stood in the corner and we wrestled out why he wasn't wanting to go. And we sat in that corner and he cried and he, I don't want to go, Dad, I don't want to go. I'm, just, I'm like, what's wrong? Why? I thought you wanted to do this. No, I did, I did, but I don't want to go, Dad. I'm like, all right. So all this time, the girls make it back up. And the girls are like, God, that was fun. Oh, my God. Let's do it again. Come on, Mom. Whoa. And I'm like, you see? You see, bro, you could, you could be doing that. And he wasn't having it. I'm telling you this story to tell you this. That sometimes we don't have anything to celebrate because we're afraid to step out in faith. We're afraid to trust the God of the universe. Amen? I'm not discounting the fact that you're afraid. I'm not discounting the fact that you're worried about some things. I'm not saying you're that. I'm just telling you that you can do those things. You can step out with God even while you're scared. You can step out with God even though you're worried about your reputation. Even while you're worried about your reputation. Amen? I love the, the, the new promotions for the chosen. One of the phrases, it's just, it gets me every time I see it. And it's Jesus sitting with the disciples, and he's telling them to go do great things. And they're telling him how he feels. And, and he makes this, this statement. He says, I don't need you to feel anything to do great things. I went, Whoa. I don't need you to feel like it. I don't need you to feel not like it. I just need you to go and step out and do great things. Amen? So the world doesn't, the world doesn't care if you feel like telling them the good news. They don't care if you feel not like telling them the good news. They just need you to go tell them the good news. Amen? And because the shepherds went out and they told the good news, they came back with something to celebrate and praise about. They had a story in their heart. They had something that was greater than the mundane life they had been living. They had something heavenly in, inside of them because they stepped out. And they did what they were called to do. They went to see. And because they saw, they had something to shout about. Verse 20 says this, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. I bet you the next time they were told to go do something, they were a little more anxious than they were this time. You'll never know how trustworthy God is until you trust him initially. And every time you trust him and you step out, you get to have an experience with him that builds more trust and more hunger and more excitement and more desire to step out again and trust him again and then to trust him again. And you know what's happening the whole time? You're getting a constant feed of something to glorify and praise him about. I was in Jennings last Sunday. I heard Heath did a phenomenal job preaching here. Proud of him. And I was, I was in Jennings, and I preached that last message from our Good Life series about God's love. And they, they've got, they're still at two services, and I forgot how tired I get after two services. <laughs> and after the first service, I had a guy came up to me and said, hey, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. And he's, he's just kind of talking kind of like this. And I said, I said, what's up, buddy? I said, you okay? He said, Last week, I, I lost my brother. He committed suicide on Thursday. I said, wow, man. So I'm really sorry to hear that. He said, I wasn't going to come to church today, but I felt like I needed to come, and your message was my message. And he said, when you got to the end of your message today, I smiled for the first time in four days. Watch this. And he says, and I realized I'm not responsible for my brother's death. I was just preaching a message on love. I just did what God told me to do. He said, take that message and go to Jennings with it. I went with that message to Jennings, preached that message. That guy heard that message. Second service. After service, another guy comes up to me. 
He says, hey, who was the guy I was here in the first service? Because I told that story at the second service. I told him his name. He says, no, that's not, that's not my relatives. I said, why? What's up? He said, I lost my brother on Thursday, too. He died, he died at a, in an explosion at a plant. And we worked together. And, and he said, your message really helped me today. And I went, man, God, I wouldn't, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting that. I, I, all I did was I said, Lord, what do you want me to preach in Jennings on Sunday? And he said, preach the message on love. I had no clue who needed to hear that message. Are you tracking with me today? You never know who you're going to run into tomorrow that needs to hear what you have to say. You don't know who needs to hear the good news that you have that the world doesn't have. Who needs to hear the good news? Do you realize how many hopeless people are out there? This is the loneliest time of the the year for most people. They feel more isolated and more alone during this time of the year than any other time. How many of them need hope? So Paul says this in Romans 15, 13. I'm going to bring this to an end. He says, I pray that God the source, listen to this, I pray that God the source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy and peace are the result of placing your trust in the right person. Amen? So what about that good news? Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 prophesied and he said this. He said, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the good news. That God sent his son to us. And for most of us, it was when we weren't even looking for him. At our best, we were just sitting in some desperate place, emptied inside. Longing for something real. And God sent his son for us. And he came to us to give us life. Not to make bad people good, to make spiritually dead people alive. He washed away our sin, paid a price we couldn't afford to pay. All so that we could be restored to God. We could go from enemies to friends of God. That the dynamics of our relationship could forever change. I'll never be an enemy of God again. Did you hear what I said? I'll never be an enemy of God again. Why? Because I've been made his friend. Because what Jesus did on the cross that I believed in is what made me a friend of God. He's my wonderful counselor. He's my mighty God. My everlasting father. And he's the prince of my peace. Amen. Let's pray. (coughs) If you would bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I want to give you an opportunity today to receive this great gift that God sent to us. His name is Emmanuel. God with us is what it means. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never come into this simple moment with Jesus where you just surrendered, maybe you just came to this place where you just went, Lord, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Nothing's working. Maybe that's you today. I've been running things and they just hadn't been going right. And 
I feel empty inside and everything I try to put in there doesn't work. I've tried all kinds of things. That's you and you're here today. I want to give you an opportunity to accept this great gift that God has given us called Jesus. If you're ready to accept that gift, I want you just to raise your hand real quick. Nobody's looking around. Anybody? Praise God. Maybe you've been distracted. Maybe you once heard the good news, but life got in the way. Things got in the way. Work got in the way. Task got in the way. And you didn't even realize it, but slowly but surely, you've drifted away. And you hear great news all the time, but you just don't do anything about it. Maybe that's you today. Maybe your feet got stuck, frozen, and you quit moving with God. Nobody looking around, if that's you, would you raise your hand today? All over the room, praise God. I want you to know this, that Jesus is inviting you back in today. He says, come on, let's keep going. Let's keep going. I'm not going to punish you. I want to move with you. Let's keep going. Can you accept that today? Come on, trust me now. Walk with me now. Let's go do the next thing. Experience me now. Father, I pray over us this morning that your presence alone would be the thing that drives us. Your presence shows how much you love us that you would come and get really close to us. I pray that that drives us to go and tell. That we would have the same attitude as the shepherds to go. Let's just go. Let's just go. Let's just go. Let's go see what God's doing. Let's go get in what God's doing. Let's go get in the mix of that. Let's get into something different. Let's get out of all this chaos and let's get into what God's doing. I pray that attitude over this church, that we would have a let's go attitude and a let's see attitude. And that would cause us to have a let me tell you something good attitude. Move in us today, Lord. Help us today, Lord. You're the God that restores, the God that redeems. God that forgives, the God that heals and cleanses. You're the God that continues along with us. We love you, Lord. We bless you and we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give the Lord